Hey gang, Tim here. And I'm doing something new. Um, if you look at my Facebook feed here, I have been posting a couple things. And considering I play a lot of Arkham Horror, what better way than to fight the coronavirus with is playing Alone Against the Flames. And this is a solo adventure for Call of Cthulhu. Um, usually you can find this like in the uh, uh, starter kit for Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. I happen to have a copy here as well. And I actually created a character. So what it is, it's... Think of it like a choose-your-own-adventure. Um, but there'll be roles that you have to make. Um, and then it'll tell you to go to a particular number, read whatever it is, and then you'll get a full story out of it. And it tells you how to create characters. And there's like about like maybe a dozen of pre-generated characters, but I made a character on my own to help uh, for Alone Against the Flames. And this has been done by Gavin... Gillis, and it's been reworked for the 7th edition rules. So, I figured this would be kind of fun, and actually, I'll just go through it together. We'll read, and see if I can make any of these rolls, and see how my poor character that I just created, Mark Adams, is going to handle. So, I actually did a little backstory of Mark Adams. His occupation is he's a gentleman. Yes, he's a fine, upstanding gentleman. Um, he has a bunch of various uh, skill types, and I'm not going to bore you with that, though, but I did write a little background on him. So, as part of a respected political family that he never took accustomed to, his parents have made him attend and persuade others at local gatherings and galas for a major pull on decisions and voting pools in local governments. He's a good looker, very well educated, and very likable on the first impression. His uncle Randolph Adams is what he looks up to. He bends other ears to getting what he wants, and he kind of looks up to his uncle. His town of Pittsfield, Massachusetts, he loves. It's not too big, but big enough for him to get around there and get what he wants. His favorite item that he most cherishes is a signed tie cop baseball. Since he is a gentleman, and using his family money very lavishly, he does tip and helps out those that are in need if you can uh, sell him for it. So, um, really he has like 10 hit points. His sanity, ooh, I didn't figure out his sanity. I should figure that out. But uh, I'll get to his sanity in a bit. He's got 40 luck. Um, his class and skills is basically what you would figure he would be for a gentleman. He can ride, although not very well, navigate very well. He does have another language, German. He's okay with it for schoolwork. Uh, knows a little bit about history to get himself along. He shoots very well. He can persuade and fast talk very, very well. Arts and crafts, he likes to paint. He's got a good credit rating, so obviously he's got some money, so I had to put a lot of points into that. First aid I did bump up on because, you know, being a Boy Scout and all, that should help out. Uh, a little bit on archaeology, uh, his personal interests. He can charm people and spot hidden. He does have an equipment. I did give him nothing crazy because why would he need it? He's got a 12-gauge shotgun with about 25 shells and a medium knife and just a typical, you know, 1920s men's suit. So give me one second and I'll review the sanity. We're going to start alone against the flames. Okay, so his sanity is equal to his power, which is 70. So I have seven, 70 sanity points and only 10 hit points. And you have luck at 40. Uh, he has an average build, so he's not going to get any damage bonuses or anything like that, which makes sense because he's just a gentleman. So I'm going to go ahead and read the introduction and then proceed with the story. 
So the introduction is, this is a solo adventure for the Call of Cthulhu game. It is a horror story set in the 1920s where you are the main character and your choices will determine the outcome. It is also designed to lead you through the basic rules of the game in a gradual and entertaining fashion. I hope so. Anyways, for me, it should be entertaining enough. Although, as such adventures are played with your friends, this one is just for you and the listeners. Before you begin to play, make sure you have a copy of Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition Quick Start Rules and Blank Investigator Sheet. You can download a printable investigator sheet or interactive PD version on the sheet if you want at their website. You also need a pencil, an eraser, and some role-playing dice. You don't need to read the rules before you start playing. Just settle in a comfortable chair before a roaring fire, and then follow the instructions. Uh, and second thought, don't sit too close to the fire. So it says now go to one. So I'm going to look for the... This is all in sequential order, so I'm going to look at number one and start the story. The sun is high in the sky, a merciless ball of heat. You feel scorched by the time you reach the bus halt in front of Osborne's drugstore. It is a relief to put down your heavy cases and take off your head for a moment. You fan your face. It's been a long summer here in your hometown, and yet a curiously empty one. You look across the street at the grubby grubby butcher's shop and the grocer's with its faded awning and the shabby tobacconist. Mistrustful faces glare at you as they pass, eyeing your clothes and luggage. It was your parents' choice to live here, not yours. You were happy down south as a child among Providence's white walls, houses, and leafy churchyards. Perhaps this new job in Arkham will supply the change you need. Yet everyone you know in the world lives here. You know nobody in Arkham, not one soul. You ask yourself one last time if you're doing the right thing. The answer is here. None of your supposed friends have come to see you off. You are alone. Whatever challenges lie in Arkham, it will be a new life and a brave one. A small gray motor coach approaches and rattles to a stop and puts your hat back on. Oh, you put your hat back on and pick up your cases. Turn to 263. Two young men with sullen expressions alight from the coach. One looks up and down before heading away. The driver also steps down, glancing at you, before crossing the road to visit the tobacconist. When he returns, he's rolling a cigarette between his yellowed fingers. He gives it a final twist and examines you as he reaches for his max box. He is a thin man, in his fifties, dressed with a stained shirt with the bus company emblem. Yet his eyes are sharp in their dark sockets. Where to? You show him your ticket for Osipsy. From there, you will connect to Rochester and Portsmouth, before a coastal line to Newburysport and finally Arkham. You should be able to afford a rail ticket for at least some of the way. Otherwise, this will be a first of one of many long bus trips. Mm-hmm. The driver snatches the match, lights a cigarette. The end flares as he takes a draw. Then he exhales and gestures you to the back of the coach. Luggage, luggage rack's up there. So it tells me I need to look at my investigator sheet. At the top, you have spaces for eight characteristics, strength, constitution, power, dex, appearance, and size, intelligence, and education. So this would tell me to allocate all that stuff. So there's like a quick start rules if you didn't create anything. But I've already done that. So we're going to go to page number eight. Flip, 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 flip. The driver smokes and watches you as you drag your cases to the back of the motor coach. The rack is set inconveniently high on the vehicle. You get a grip on the heavier case. If my size is 40, go to 23. If your size is higher than this, go to 38. So my size is 50. It is higher than this. So I'm going to turn to 38. 
The driver continues to enjoy a cigarette, watching with keen interest as you struggle with cases. You grit your teeth and heave the second one into place. Perhaps the residents of Arkham will have better manners. Turn to 233. The driver flicks a cigarette into the gutter and steps into the motor coach. Its engine coughs into life. You board grateful that you will be the only passenger for the first part of your trip, at least. With mixed emotions, you watch from the window as the tired avenues of your old home slip behind you, receding in the distance. For a few minutes, you can see the church spire over a brow of a low hill. Then the road dips, and it too, it is gone. Arkham is your new home. You will, you will travel there and make a new start. You will see two smaller boxes to the right of each characteristic half. These are has values, rounding down and writing the result to the upper right box. And then you also also divide each value by five again, rounding down and writing the result in the lower right box. Um, so they tell you if you have to make any checks, they'll tell you to do it at half or do it at quarter. So I've already done this, and uh, we're going to continue on here. Uh, in the strip below, you'll see tracks to record sanity magic points. Beginning sanity is equal to your POW, and beginning magic points are the same as value. Just assign your POW divided by 5. So my magic points, 70 divided by 5, is uh, 14. So so if I, if I, in case, do come with magic, it's 14 points. Then turn to 134. The coach sputters through the countryside. At first, the interior is stifling, and your stomach lurches with every bend in the road. However, the driver opens his window, and by switching seats, you find a spot where the breeze hits your face. You soon relax into the journey, observing the quaint little hamlets that the coach serves. The heavyset woman boards at one settlement and gives you a polite nod. She gets off at the next one. The road rises a little, passing cornfields and orchards. The leaves are turning, and the leaves are alive with glorious reds and golds. You've just begun to doze when the driver takes a tight bend at speed. Add size and con together and divide the total by 10, rounding down. This is your starting value for hit points, so my hit points are at 10. You also have a luck score. Roll three six-sided die. And I already did the luck. Let me see here. Yeah, I already rolled luck, so my luck is 40. So it's telling you to roll luck. And then, uh, yep. And now you must make a roll against your dexterity. Roll a D100. So a D100, it's a, a D10, two D10s. One of them is the 10s, and the other one's the 1s. So, telling me to roll. If you roll equal to your dex or less, you pass the roll. If you roll greater than my dex, you fail the roll. My dex is 85. I should be pretty good with this. And I rolled a 55, so I pass the dex. Turn to 261. Flip. All right. A desperate yell awakens you. You feel yourself slide from the seat as the driver spins the wheel and the motor coach plunges off the road. You grab a hold of the seat in the front just in time to prevent a painful fall. The coach stops with a thump. Now you see what has happened. A Fortson tractor has stopped in the road and your driver had to swerve to avoid the steel obstacle. He leaps from his seat into the road, unleashing a string of curses at the farmer. You take a moment to catch your breath. Perhaps you should offer assistance. But the driver's already returned. He backs the coach up a little and threads it around the tractor, glaring at the farmer. Eh, giving him the stink eye. You resume your journey. The driver takes the curves with more caution than before. He glances over his shoulder a couple times. 
Sorry about before, he said. That fellow was dumber than a hog. I'm Silas. What's your name? The accident was at least as much Silas' fault as the farmer's, but it doesn't seem shrewd to antagonize the man while he's driving you through the middle of nowhere. It tells me to make up a name. My name is Mark Adams. And recorded on the investor sheet. You must add your age. And I chose 24. The coach turns onto a narrow road, which weaves uphill and through the woodland. Silas becomes chatty. Going to Arkham, hey? I can't say I've ever heard of the place. Went to Boston once. Ugh, didn't like it. Too much hustle and bustle. You got family there? Someone special waiting. The afternoon is wearing on. You see no harm in confiding about Silas with your new life. Job, eh? What's your line? Oh, so I was a gentleman, so I might have to ad-lib it here. So choose an occupation for your character from the following options. I got antiquarian, doctor of medicine, journalist, private investigator, or professor. Hmm. Well, what should I choose? I am going to take... Uh, we'll do journalist. We'll uh, do a little BS on that one. So... I'll mark that note here. I did pick Gentleman, but now he's a journalist. There should be another option if you picked anything else. All right, 239. You mentioned the reporter's job, which you secured at the Arkham Gazette on the strength of a few freelance pieces in your local newspaper. That'd be a relief to get away from the vapid society columns and whimsical stories. You understand the Gazette covers everything from the great breakthroughs other researchers at Miskatonic University to the most sordid exploits of local near-do-wells. It should be something to get your teeth into, at any rate. A writer? For a newspaper? Silas King seems confused as if he thought the stories were somehow, uh, stories somehow wrote themselves. It tells me that my credit rating is a 20. I'm gonna forego that, because I've already created my character. He's actually, yeah, it's 70. And he's got a bunch of skills, which we're gonna ignore, um, previously. So, we'll turn to 128. You realize Silas hasn't made a stop since the incident with the tractor. The motor coach winds its way uphill. However, your thoughts are interrupted. There's a road crests a ridge, and you're treated to a magnificent view of the vista below. The creek makes its, snakes its through, way through the valley, breaking the rich autumn pallets of the tree line. In the distance, the white mountains rise into a hazy cloud. There is no settlement, not even a cabin as far as the eye can see. Birds drift through the treetops, and you can just make out what might be a two white-tailed deer lingering by the water. Perhaps you are making a mistake by moving into the city. Could you survive on your own in this lush wilderness? You have the base ability and most skills listed in the brackets after your skill name from the investigator. For instance, if you have 20% in climbing, and then and a base of dodge is equal to half your decks. So, we, yeah, we, we get this. So it tells me to take... Four skills, which are not my occupation skills. These are your personal skills, which you like. And then it tells you to boost it up. Uh, and it tells you everything else after afterwards. So after that, go to 144. Again, I'm not making any changes to my character. We're just going to play it, let it ride, and see what happens. The motor coach rattles on through the hills, and Silas laps into silence. The sky darkens behind you. Pink's tinting as the clouds as, uh, the, clouds as the sun descends. Finally, a welcome sight comes into view. A settlement on the crest of the hill. This doesn't look like the pictures you've seen at Osipi. But perhaps you can persuade Silas to stop while you stretch your legs. Minutes later, a harsh stuttering from the engine erupts your revelry. 
Silas frowns and rattles the gear stick. The motor coach falters in his ascent. Silas utters a curse you don't recognize and grinds his teeth, struggling at the wheel. You seem to inch up the hill until you reach the first buildings, low dwellings constructed from a rough red stone. Silas wrestles the coach into a small bay up the road. He scrambles from his seat and makes for the engine compartment. You must now choose whether to make a roll for drive, auto, or psychology. If you choose to drive auto, you need to roll equal to or less than that skill. And I don't have that at all, other than would be my base stat line. Or psychology. So I'm going to pick out which one would be the best one for the group. Those are neither of my skills. But you do have a static here. So my psychology is at 10%. My drive auto is at 20. So let's do the 20. Let's see if I make it. It says if you choose psychology, you need a hard success. And this roll is equal to less than half the yeah, hard success is the, the half modifier. Ooh, I want only I need 10% on that. So let's do drive auto. Ugh. 79, I did fail. Failed roll, go to 194. Probably gonna tick off Silas. That's probably what I'm gonna do. Yeah, 194. Silas opens the engine compartment open and sticks his head inside. Hot metal pops and sizzles. He pokes at various components, then withdraws and wipes his brow, smearing it with dark grease. I ain't sure what's wrong. Might be the oil pressure. Might be something knocked off kilter when we took that spill. Can't do much until this engine cools either. And with night, well, with light failing, I reckon we'll be here through the night. He wipes his hands on a rag. The shadows from your surroundings are already long and the air is chilly. You feel stiff from the journey, and a night in the rickety coach sounds unappealing. Silas sees your dismay. This here's Emberhead. Miles from any place. I only come up through twice a week, but the folks here are good people. Maid Ledbetter keeps a spare room. She'll look after you. Up that alley, turn right, first house on your left. He scratches his cheek, looks again into the engine compartment, and then spits on the ground. You meet me back here at 8 in the morning, and we'll see how he stands. All right, so ooh, I got three choices now. I can look for Maid Ledbetter's house to go to 267. To ask Silas where he'll spend the night. And to challenge Silas about the breakdown. So I'm probably not going to irritate this guy. He probably seems to know what's best. And I don't feel like being there all night and sleeping in a coach. So uh, I can give a, a rat's behind on, on whether where Silas is going to sleep. But let's go for May Ledbetter's house at 267. You drag your cases between the sullen buildings. You feel surprisingly wary, considering you've spent all day sitting down. Silas's directions lead you to a modest dwelling with a slate, uh, slate roof. The nameplate reads, Leadbetter. And underneath, a sign in neat copper plate reads, Lodging Room. The lane around you is gloomy, but a lamp flickers in the window. A breeze chills your face. You're not about to begin your new life by sleeping in the street. You rap on the weather-beaten door. After a moment, you hear footsteps inside the house. A bolt is drawn back, and a wooden door swings open. A figure with loose curls and a rough-looking house dress peers at you. Her gaze takes in your traveling suit and your cases. Her voice has a slight Irish lilt. Hello. Should I take it that you're looking for a room for the night? You inquire as to her rates, suppressing, with a, uh, suppressing a grimace. As far as you've seen, the village does not offer you many alternatives. Oh, you'll find them very reasonable. She says, you look tired. I'm May. Come inside and we'll, have, we'll talk it over with a cup of tea. 
Ladder Better House feels cramped with the low ceiling and simple fittings, but is kept well and a cheerful fire crackles in the grate. The aroma of the tea is soothing and the cup warms your fingers. Have you come to Emberhead for the festival? May asks May. My choices are to explain what happened with Silas and the coach or ask about the festival. Uh, I'm going to ask about the festival because I don't know what it is and it might give me something to do. Well, now, I suppose the festival is only about the only reason folks come to Amberhead. I thought you had maybe come to study it or take photographs. Well, it's not tomorrow night, but the night after. I suppose it looks very strange to a passerby. May tops off your tea. The spout clinks against your cup. We've got the beacon, you see. One night every year, there's a tortlich procession, and we'd light the, per- the beacon on the, kiffs, the cliffs. You've never seen the like of it. They say it keeps the spirits of the village alive for another year. It's a celebration. A celebration. She tails off for a moment, then blinks. But you didn't come here to listen to me blather, and you must be hungry. Can I brush you up a bit of stew? How would that be? You ask again about her rates, and May names a price so low that you accept it without hesitation. The room is small but comfortable, and the dark and the stew is dark and hearty. After dinner, you have a couple hours before your usual bedtime. Alright, so my choices are do you want to talk to May for some more? Walk around and get your bearings? Or turn in for an early night. Oh, let's walk around and get my bearings. I'm going to stretch out my legs. Considering I've been cramped up in a coach. May's brow creases when you announce your intention to take a stroll. Mind how you go, she says. Emberhead's surrounded by cliffs, and we don't want don't have your fancy street lamps here. Take the lantern and watch your step. Outside, you see what she means. The sky is overcast. Only a few glimmers of moonlight peaks from the clouds. Without the heavy lantern, you'd be walking in near total darkness. You cannot hope to get an overview of the village tonight. May Street is a narrow passage hemmed in by squat, dark dwellings. At the end, however, it opens up. A wide thoroughfare leads off to your right. Crude sign names it Salisbury Street. And to the left, a few yards away, your light picks out a crooked post of a simple fence. Beyond that, the ground drops away into darkness. Take a couple steps closer, but you can't see nothing. Oh, but you can see nothing. Air from below cools your face, and then some instinct makes you look around. An ink-black figure stands in the road, about 20 yards behind you. It stares at you. You form the sudden impression that it will run at you and throw you off over the cliff edge. This is unsettling. Seeing has been spotted, the figure slips down in the alley. Uh, do you return to the Ledbetter house, or do you confront the dark figure? Heck no. I don't want anyone peeping on me. I'm going to go and see what the heck what the dude's looking about. I don't like creepers. Creepers are bad. Let's find out what's going on. As you approach the figure, uh, as you approach, the figure takes a pace back, and then another, and then slips down an alley between two buildings. To catch your target, you must make a track roll. If you succeed, go to 141. All right, so I did not have... Do I have track? No, I did not pick track. Track is not one of my good... Skills that I bumped up on. I only got a 10%. Let's see what happens. I got a 33. That is a fail. The figure moves fast with almost silent steps. You are hampered with a heavy lantern in an unfamiliar environment. You emerge from the alley into a dusty courtyard and can detect no sign of your quarry. You scratch around for a few minutes, but the figure has gone. seems unwise to continue to stroll through the unknown dark streets while... This threatening presence is abroad. You head back to the Ledbetter house. May lets you in, settles back into the chair. She soon begins again. I believe I'll turn in. 
Would you like, would you like, uh, when would you like your breakfast? Turn to 63. Well, I guess that's it for the first day for me. As May stands, you hear a clunk behind you. You look over the shoulder, but all you can see is a wooden door, securely closed. May touched the young lady of the house to have been listening to us. Ruth, come and meet our guest. There's a short pause and a door creaks open. Two wide eyes peer at you from the gap between tussled hair and a rough nightgown. What do you say? The eyes blink. Pleased to meet you. Now get back to bed. Door closes again. My daughter Ruth. Ten years this summer. She's a delight and a torment, our lone one. Don't worry. She sleeps in with me. She will not disturb you. Good night now. You retire to your room. It is a little chilly. But you are too tired to worry about lighting the fire. The sheets are clean. And the bed soon warms up. The silence outside is strange after living in a town for so long. But soon you drop off. One fifty-four. You dream of fire in the grate. Colors shimmering through the dancing tongues of flame. At first they're tiny, almost microscopic, but they grow and grow until a kaleidoscopic inferno spills from the fireplace, spreading across the floor and up the sheets. You wake with a start. Daylight glints through the curtains. You get up, examine the grate, blinking the steps from your eyes. It is quite cold. If you've taken any damage, you may heal one hit point back from your night's sleep. I haven't taken any damage. May seems to have no running water, but has supplied some in a ceramic jug. You freshen up at a washstand and go in. She cooks a hearty breakfast and leaves you in peace to eat. At about 7.30, you are paid up, packed, ready to go. You bid May goodbye, and she wishes you the best for your new career in Arkham. If you succeeded at a skill roll last night and wish to investigate the result further, go to 178, otherwise 192. Nope, didn't do any of that last night. Well, wait. If you succeeded at a skill roll last night and wish to investigate, no. Nope. I'm going to assume this because when I got to the town, not because I made that check with uh, the dexterity, because that wasn't at night, that was during the day. So I'm going to go to 192. You're already tired of your heavy bags. Hopefully Silas has repaired the motor coach and you can resume your long journey. A sour puss you might be, but the old driver seemed to understand his vehicle well enough. You pause to check your watch. It's still 20 minutes early and around the final corner. The motor coach is gone. You put your bags down in the search area, trekking up and down the slopes and around corners. At the edge of the village, you trace a long road back to where it, as it winds across the hills. Eight o'clock comes and goes. There is no coach to be seen. The passing villager, villager notices your bags. Looking for a bus? I heard him take off at first light. He's due back in for another three or four days. If you need a place to stay, maybe Ledbetter rents a room. The man raises his hat to you and strolls into the village. You curse Silas under your breath. Perhaps he went for parts, but you wonder if the old goat has stranded you here on purpose. Probably stranded you here on purpose, quite honestly. May is doing laundry and looks up, surprised to see you again. Forgot something. When you explain this situation, she offers to store your bags while you try to arrange alternative transport. You are grateful to relinquish the load. Nobody here has anything like a car. She strokes her chin and narrows her eyes. Maybe you could find somebody with a horse and cart for your bags. I could ask around later. Try Mr. Winters at the English Hall or the Village Hall. He will know if anyone will. Or ask among the artisans. There are workshops here, first left here on Silsbury Street. She reaches over and squeezes your wrist. Don't worry. I won't see you sleeping in the street, money or no money. You thank May 
and turned to face the village. You wander the streets of Emberhead without any particular destination in mind. The village is built on relatively flat upland and splendid views. To the north, the hazy tips of the White Mountains reached for the heavens. To the south, the sparkling water was so Lake Winnie Pesuki? I'm going to say Winnie Pesuki. Yep. Touch the horizon. The village itself takes less than five minutes to cross from edge to edge. You arrive on the winding road to the west. The only other road leaves to the south. Following a lower ridge of land, this turns to the east. In the southwest of the village, an open grassy space borders a ruined church, this graveyard cresting the cliffs. To the northeast, three main thoroughfares meet at the black, raised black metal structure. It looks, it looms stark against the blue sky. All right, I have lots of options now. I may now ask about the transport at the local general store, seek out the village hall, walk down to the lower level and check out the eastern road, examine the large metal structure, explore the church, or look for local people with their own transport needs. Go to 96. All right, no. I'm going to look at that metal structure. I want to see what the heck that's all about. I know it has something to do with that uh, festival, so let's see it. You walk up the approach. Most of the central village's major street, it points directly at an odd metal structure. As you emerge from the shade of nearby buildings, you are greeted by a magnificent panorama spread from north to the southeast. The last colors of fall tinted the hills in a sleepy gold the structure, by contrast, is made of uncompromising iron and singed black. It supports an immense curved platform at the level of your head. Further struts snake up to a central point. It looks like it might have been some kind of sculpture at one time, but are now twisted and melted beyond recognition. An older gentleman passes, looking up at you with eye, uh, roomy eyes. Are you here for the festival? He asked. That's the beacon. And when they light it, night after next, you will be able to see it ten miles away. He gives a little nod of satisfaction, then moves on, leaning on his walking stick. You Now you have noticed bundles of wood tied and stacked against the buildings nearby. Perhaps this festival would be an interesting diversion, but you must really head to Arkham as soon as possible. Ooh, it tells me to make a spot hidden roll. My spot hidden is at 50, so I got a 50-50 on this. I got a 16. That's a pass, so if you succeed, go to 69. As you walk away from the iron structure, you notice something strange about the construction of the village. All the wooden dwellings are concentrated in the west and southwest. To the east and northeast, closest to the beacon, the buildings are formed from dark brick and clay. Does this mean the settlement began at the beacon and spread west? You may checkmark the small box beside the spot hidden skill. Ooh, put a little checkmark. Yeah. Now go to 25. I don't know if that was really a spot hidden, though. You're just observating, you know, the differences. You're beginning to get your bearings in Amberhead. What would you like to explore some more? You may choose another option from those below. Do not repeat a previous, uh, previous choice. Once you've tried four options, or before that, if you're ready to move on, go to number three. Okay, so I've already done one. Alrighty, so I already looked at the metal structure. Uh, let's go to the town village hall, 84. The village hall backs against the cliff 
at the east end of Salisbury Street. It's the largest building you've seen so far in Emberhead. It is, however, locked and shuttered. You walk around it, peering through the gaps in the shutter. There seems to be one large room, presumably for community meetings and a smaller annex, which serves as an office and an archive. One of the windows is bricked up. Back at the main door, you can see no posted opening hours. Mr. Winters doesn't open up mornings this time of year, says a gray garbled woman passing by. Best come back this afternoon. You ask whether the office has a telegraph. Don't know, she shrugs. Who would we call? Well, you'll have to try again later. 25. Okay, we're back to the same spot. Sorry, I've done two. Village Hall was a bust. Let's go to the local general store, see if I can find other modes of transportation. 16. May shakes her head and you glimpse a moment of deep-seated anger in her eyes. Oh, wait. Did I get that right? I don't know. Oh, 16. Whoops. The general store is on a corner beside the main road, just before it plunges to the south. The shopkeeper is a is a brisk, immense lady with a starched apron and strong shoulders. She looks hard at your unfamiliar face. Transport. There's only one motor coach that comes through twice a week. Missed it? Hmm. Trucks bring in my supplies on every second Tuesday, but he's not due until next week. She shrugs. Seems Emberhead is con content to keeping its distance from the outside world. You have enough money to buy one or two inexpensive, inexpensive everyday items here. Note them down in your investigator sheet. Remember, the year is 1927. Shop stocks, no weapons except a dusty hunting knife, which you may purchase if you want. Ooh, okay. Well, it did come with a knife, so I'm going to say dusty hunting knife. Hang on. I'm going to grab some biscuits. They equivalent to like crackers or something like that. I don't know if cookies were mid 1927, but it's going to be that equivalency of it. And go to 25. So I got one more choice. So I did the general store, did the hall, did the metal structure. Uh, let's look at the church, see if anything's buzzed there. You cross the street towards the church. As you glance to your left, your gaze alights at the large metal structure. Something bothers you about the positioning. You back up and look again. Yes, Amberhead's central... Thoroughfare points directly at the structure. This seems too precise to be a coincidence. You press on and draw into the shadow of the church. The building is in a sorry state. At the top of the steeple is missing, a ragged gas of splintered boards making its absence. And the floor beneath it has collapsed. It appears to have torn through the roof of the main building as it fell. Only the back half is still intact, while white paint, which once covered the church, has yellowed and peeled. It seems safe enough to explore the rear section. Old pews are stacked against the wall, choked with mildew. Most of the windows are broken. You guess this church has been disused for about 20 years. There's little more interest to you. Make a ride roll. You may have a bonus die. Roll the tens percentage twice and take the low results. All right, so my ride is pretty bad. So I'm going to need that. Roll, we roll that tens. It's a 5%. I got a 69. I think if we roll the 10, I don't think it'll matter. Yeah, it'll be 29. That's a fail. So we're going to go back to 25. And that should do it. I've done four. It's going to tell me to go to number three.
Your morning exertions have left you hun- hungry. You roam the streets overhead looking for sustenance. There is nothing resembling busy cafes of your hometown or anything that might be called a restaurant. It's beginning to look like you might have to get supplies from a general store when May Ledbetter comes down the street with a girl tailing in her wake. This must be Ruth. As she notices you, she races past her mother and approaches you with a smile. This is a different Ruth from the shy creature last night. She reaches you. She stops and stretches her arm up in celebration. She looks up into your eyes. Abruptly, the smile drops from her face, and she looks several years older. Get out of the festival, she hisses. Get out. She blinks hard, then scuttles back towards her mother. All right, that's kind of creepy. May approaches, wrapping an arm around her daughter's shoulder. She smiles. How are you getting on? Have you fun, transport? Startled, you explain the frustrations of the situation. I try Mr. Winters in the village hall. He's always in for the afternoon. You'll be hungry by now. Help yourself to any food in the house. The doors are not locked. You glance at Ruth, where she squirrels herself behind her mother's leg. Her eyes implore you to silence. You ask about Ruth, about what she said. Go to nine. If you ask me about what Ruth has said, uh, go to 15. If you say nothing, I don't want to cause any problems because she'll be an ear distance, so I'm going to say nothing. And keep that in the back of my mind there because that's kind of creepy. Telling me to get out of the festival. You know something bad's going to happen. 22. You take leave of the Ledbetters and head towards their house. The door opens easily. In a low kitchen, you make meal from stodgy bread and leftover stew. A little window offers a view of the mountains. If one thing you've learned one thing this morning, it was that Emberhead streets hold little to occupy the visitor from out of town. But there's still about five hours of daylight remaining. You could take some provisions and bare essentials from your luggage and set out in hope of reaching another settlement before dark, or you can ask the fight from the uh, ask the rice from this Mr. Winters. Well, I didn't reach him the first time in the morning. I'm not going to want to walk out of town. That's a long walk. I don't even know where the heck I'm at, so I'm go to 11. Village Hall overlooks the northern ridge of the village. You walk along Silsbury Street to find it conspicuous of the oppressive black metal structure framed at the end of the road. The shutters of the hall are open or somewhat the windows are somewhat left ajar. There's no knocker, but there's a little bell over the entrance tinkles as you push the front door. Inside the sturdy door to your right is marked private. To your left, an opening leads to the bright room. You take a few steps inside. Benches line the walls, and there are two notice boards mount between the windows. Do I knock on the closed door or examine the notice boards? Eh, let's take a look on the notice boards. Maybe they'll have some local leads, or at least that one way of getting out of the town, and not by foot. Uh, that was 17. The floorboards creak beneath you as you cross the room. You feel a slight spring in your step. Perhaps this room is used as a gymnasium for the village children. One notice board appears to be for the adults of the community and one for children. The former looks like the former looks neglected, featuring handwritten advertisements for household items and a yellow note about telegraph pricing. There's nothing about the festival. Children's notice board has a schedule for a, a week, uh, weekly services and a number of paintings obviously done by the children themselves. Most are incoherent, although colorful. As best as you can tell, they depict fireworks, or perhaps the tale of Joseph from the book of Genesis. One has lost a pin and hangs upside down. It shows a giant bird attacking overhead. Or it might simply be that the artist has not yet mastered the subtleties of scale. Make a spot hidden. My spot hidden is a 50. 
Oh, I failed. I rolled an 81. If you fail, go to 37. The door scrapes behind you. A middle-aged, bespectacled gentleman peers in the door. May I help you? You explain your visiting May let uh, visiting a May Ledbetter's recommendation. Ah, uh-huh, well, I'm Clyde Winters. I'm not sure I can help you, but... Would you care for some coffee? I'm partial to a cup in the afternoon. He gestures to open the door behind him. This seems a worthwhile opportunity, and you are a little thirsty. You step into the door, marked private. The other side of the village hall is marked contrast of the public space. The room is compact, lined with shelves of books and file alcoves. One corner is reserved for a, a tiny pantry, what is presumably a water closet. You study Mr. Winters as, as he fills the percolator. Although thin on top, his hair is oiled and neatly kept back. His suit is a, so, a sober affair and well-tailored, even if the cut is a little odd, fat, old-fashioned. A lesser man, working alone, might have loosened this bow tie for comfort. On the desk against the opposite wall, you notice what looks like a telegraph set. Oof, I'm going to ask about the telegraph. Let's do number 56, instead of making small talk. The telegraph? Hmm. Much as we value our isolation, we do need a link sometimes. You were hoping to send a message? I must apologize. The line's been down for two weeks. I reported the faults, but of course, they're not so speedy when the problem lies in the rural area. I'm expecting a repair the day after next. I do appreciate how frustra- I do appreciate how frustrating this must be. The coach is due in what three days? But I think he's going west. Perhaps you might engage a wagon. One of the farmers might. You explain what you have asked a few of the residents already, but to no avail. I'll tell you what. Winter pours you a steaming cup of coffee. Dark liquid smells rich and strong. When the repair crew arrives, I'll ask them to take you back with them. How would that be? They might want a dollar or two to grease the wheels. Day after tomorrow, it's less than ideal, but it's the first real opportunity you have. Uh, I have two options. To thank Winters and leave, go to 180, or to ask about his library. Well, I am a gentleman, and I don't have anything else to do, so let's ask about the library 62 you make small but flattering remark about a couple of volumes on his shelves winter blushes with pleasure well of course it's they're not my personal collection they belong to the village he says but i did select the most recent items this is a community's library you see i put up the private sign to stop people just wandering in from meetings in the other room but this really is a public place you scan the shelves. There is a sparse but respectable collection on mathematics and sciences, passable selections in history and the arts and self of literature. He has a few lowbrow novels tucked away in the corner with tatty copies of Bizarre Tales magazine. Quality does not always equate to popularity, I'm afraid, Winter gives you with a po- apologetic smile. Um, take some time to research in the library? Yeah, let's do that. Or leave while it's still light out. Yeah, let's do that. Let's see what's in the library. Winters is happy for you to spend the rest of the afternoon studying and offers you an upright but comfortable chair. You have enough time to pursue one line of research in depth. Read about the history of the area, read about the festival, read something about the sciences, or read some of that weird fiction. Uh, Let's read about the festival. 81. You're not surprised to find there are no published works in Everhead's festival. Winter pokes around and finds a case monographed, handwritten, the following paper by Dr. Annie Lewowski. Annie Lewowski. Close enough. An acquaintance of my father's, I believe, Winter says. The manuscript is somewhat difficult to read, and you make slow progress. And Olowski speculates that the festival has its origin in pagan rites brought over by Celtic settlers, which celebrate the ancient festivals of Beltane, Samhain, Imbolic, and... Oh, man, these are long words, man. 
Lagnatish. There is some discussion of the struggle between the seasons and a couple of oblique references to the alignment in Emberhead. And Oleski suggests that the meaning of the festival slowly changed around the turn of the century. The monograph terminates mid-sentence at the end of page 28, just as we begin to discuss the modern practices. You ask Winters if he has some of the remaining pages. No, I'm afraid those are misplaced, he says. Perhaps they're still in the library somewhere, but, he shrugs, I must make time for a thorough stock take. The afternoon wears on. You have not quite finished your reading when Winter glances out of the window and stands up. He clears his throat. Make a credit rating roll. All right, I, I'm all right with this one. I got a 70. <laughs> rolled a 99. Okay, I failed. Here we go. I'm afraid I have some errands to run before dark, so I must close the library for the day. I do hope you'll return tomorrow afternoon if you're so inclined. You leave the building with Winters, waiting as he locks up. You thank him for the coffee and the access to the library. He disappears off down the alley. You hope to be away from the village before tomorrow afternoon, but it's good to know that there is a place that you can now occupy yourself. I really wish I would have made that roll. Wow. Get a 70. Still rolled a 99. Awesome. Uh, right. 180. As the light fades, you return to the letterwriter house, eat a light supper. May is unusually tech-turn. Ruth's eyes flick to yours several times during the meal. There is an urgency that you cannot quite interpret. Afterwards, May ushers the girl into their room. You have been Emberhead for barely one whole day, and you already feel confined by it, both geographically and socially. The evening seems to offer little. Do some stargazing. Attempt to speak to Ruth. If you have a previous appointment, this is the time to follow it up. Uh, let's speak to Ruth. Let's do 138. I want to see what's going on with her. See if I can get to talk to her alone. In time, May returns to the kitchen and busy yourself clearing up. To speak to Ruth, you will need to get May to leave for a short while. You help with the dishes and try to think of some ruse. In time, the idea comes and you ask about Silas and his friends in the village. May narrows eyes. He knows Troy on the other side of town. She says, I'm not sure I'd call them friends. More like old feuding couple. But he probably spends last night at Troy's place. You ask May if she can visit Troy and ask if Salamence has any plans to return. May looks dubious. Right now? She asks. Without looking at your investor's investigator sheet, decide how best to influence May by appealing to her emotions, by explaining how to further delay threatens your career, or by trying to rush her into compliance. Uh, let's do the charm. My charm is a 50. Nope, 87. <laughs> 151. May frown shakes her head. I'd be happy to go see him in the morning. I must go see Ruth for now. She's been terribly a handful today. Her bedroom door closes with a heavy thunk. The familiar surroundings of your guest room are becoming constrictive. The neat bed, the small wardrobe, the dressing mirror, all feel a prison cell about them. What are you still doing here in Emberhead? Your new life is elsewhere. You lie in the bed. Stare at a small crack at the ceiling. You turn over the day's events, thinking there's little details you've spotted. You are certainly worried from the elevations and, and the fresh air. But do you still feel safe here? If you let yourself fall asleep, 224. If you stay awake, go to 230. I'm probably going to still be awake a little bit of time, still thinking about this craziness going on. Sleep presses down on you. You blink it back and sit, sit up, trying to think through your situation. Everything in Emberhead seems to be working to stopping you leaving. Perhaps the answer is to strike out a first light, to walk as far and as fast as you can. 
can always return for your possessions. And if you lose them, you know that you have nothing so precious that it cannot be replaced. Yeah, except for my Thai cop baseball. A tiny creak draws your attention to the other side of the room. Slowly, almost silently, the doorknob is turning. Uh, ooh, <laughs> it's kind of creepy. All right, to grab it and wrench the door open or pretend to be asleep. Well, no, because that means I'm exposed. I don't like being exposed, so let me go grab the door. 248. You keep the door open, ready for a confrontation. May stands on the other side, wrapped in her bed jacket. She steps back in the arm. You, you seemed not yourself, she stammers. I just wanted to check up on you. You assure May that you're in fine health and watches as she turns to her bedroom. Once the door is closed, you borrow a kitchen chair to the wedge under to wedge under the door handle. Perhaps this piece of fortification will permit you a few hours of restful sleep. That's right. Put a piece of wood underneath the door and lock it. I think you're going to get some sleep. You awaken to the sound, ten feet, uh, the sound of feet in the street outside. Your night's rest has brought new determination. Today you will meet Emberhead on your own terms. Wow, we've gone through two days and a lot of creepiness has gone on. I'm going to stop there. So uh, I don't want to make it longer than it should be because I'm thinking about the 50 minute mark. So in the last couple of days, I am stuck in a crazy town with a crazy Burning Man-esque kind of festival that's going to be going on. Um, no one's giving me any run around. I can't get out. Um, and there's some pagan rituals afoot at the library. It's starting to sound kind of weird. And I don't know if leaving outside the town too is a good idea too on foot. I really would rather find a mode of transportation. So these are things to ponder. Well, Thanks for joining me for the first two days for Alone Against the Flames. I will continue us in another podcast. So, and I, I did pick up the other ones too. I got like Alone Against the Dark and Alone Against the Frost. So, looks pretty cool. So, uh, I'll be doing those too. So, right now I'm pretty wrapped up on it. That's pretty good storyline for a solo campaign. It, it's written really well. I like it, you know, just for a really thin book. So, yeah, a lot of fun so far. So, Thanks for listening, guys. I hope that I made it enjoyable for you. And then you can get a hold of me, Tim, at Arkham's Kids, A-R-K-H-A-M-S, kids at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, gang, and uh, stay healthy, stay safe.